the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Jesse Gastan. He's the host of Way of Grace, a pastor and a community leader. He's a teacher and an inspiration. He's Lifeline's own Jesse Gastan. And it's good to be in the house with you one more time. A glorious Monday evening here. Um, We are dealing with September 17, 2017. It happens to be 5.05 this evening. This Monday evening, which is a Monday that follows every other Monday after seven days, and which I generally think that we uh, are looking forward to on our way home. If that's what you're doing, you're driving home right now. You are listening to KFAX 1100 on your dial. And this is, again, Lifeline. I try to... Kind of get things stirred up for the week, um, probe your thoughts, engage you in conversation, and talk about the things that, that matter in our life and in our world, largely wanting to drive you into a much more sort of biblical, theological uh, point of reference and thinking uh, as we make our way home, or if you're at home already, just to take the privilege of radio and to, to speak uh, just, you know, you and I. Uh, on a personal level about the things of God. What a privilege we have to be able to talk like this. We can imagine, you can imagine thousands of homes and thousands of people on the road and thousands others that might be using different forms of media by which they are tuning in and tapping into our program. Just think about that kind of forum right now, how wonderful it is. So you know how we do it. The number here is one triple eight. Three six seven five three two nine one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. If you have a question, a comment, an observation about what may have gone on over the last now almost fourteen days since you and I have spoken, there's a lot I know, a lot going on in your life, a lot going on in mine, certainly. And then there are the general events in our world that we both are privy of and aware of and um maybe we have a thought about about them i again i am not at all really interested in what's going on in the the world of politics particularly at the highest levels because it just seems like every time a, a, a less popular president gets into office, whoever the opposite or opposing party is, they're going after him 100 percent, trying to take him down. And that becomes the news frenzy for the media. And unfortunately, it becomes the diet of our public discourse and uh, and thoughts. And you can go anywhere on the dial and listen to the pro-con arguments about Trump, his administration, uh, his ties to Russia, uh, his 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 judicial nominees at present. There is a debate over the the present uh, recommendation that's being made and. 
all this I have observed from a young man, very young man, in fact, uh, a little bit more than a teenager when I began to be uh, very much aware of the scandal of politics in our world and in our own country, beginning with uh, Richard Nixon. So it seems like for me, it's a pattern of political uh, haranguings and argumentations, and and they, they reach such fevered pitch that uh, every party will always tell you, if we don't get that man out of office, the world's going to end. Isn't that the way it goes? Right now, the uh, liberals, the uh, Democrats, we've got to get him out. We've got to impeach him. He's the worst president in our nation's history. Well, we heard the same thing on the part of the Republicans and conservatives about Obama as well. And, and, and truth be told, may I say this? As much as presidents are capable of doing a great deal of harm, largely around the world in terms of the attrition of wars, because that's all they are, are sort of neo-Caesars, as I've told you before. They are like the ancient Roman Empire, where you have emperors that go around the world waging war and taking up uh, and confiscating the wealth of other nations that become subordinate to them. That's largely the role of presidents. But now, our president, after one year in office, has really... shown himself to be a ton more peaceful than Obama. Can you imagine that? A ton more peaceful than Obama. But you wouldn't get that from the left. You'd you'd swear he's a walking time bomb, and the next thing you know, he's going to open his mouth, and the world's going to explode in a conflagration of fire because of nuclear war, because of his unbridled, undisciplined, undiscerning tongue against some nation or other. Look. You and I are called to go about our life every day to work hard, pay our bills, fly under the radar. Don't 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 be distracted by the cares of this life and then try to walk with God and and, and live for God and serve God. Don't get distracted. Don't get held up. Don't get bogged down by any of that garbage. Do not trade your identity in as a believer in Christ who's. Objective is to make your way to glory and on your way, by the way, pick somebody up with you to carry with you to glory so that you don't go there by yourself. Um, But by the goodness of God, don't get caught up in politics. Don't do it. There is absolutely no biblical mandate for you to be wrestling with the skunks of politics, none whatsoever. You get in there, you're going to lose your witness. You get in there, you're going to lose your testimony. You get in there, you're going to abandon biblical Christianity. If anything, when you know your Bible carefully, the church operating out of a radical high view of God in a biblical worldview and a Christocentric mandate is going to be the... uh, the offscouring of the world, going to be the object of ridicule, hatred, as many other believers are around the world um, in relationship to their own governments. Hostile, persecutory is really the experience that believers have around the world. And, And that, if anything, is the most honorable testimony we could render if we want to do something to be salt and light in this world. But the idea for us as a collective whole, the, the body of Christ as a whole, uh, just kind of morphing into the madness of this political haranguing. Forget it. 
Don't let that be the diet of your life that 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 you know gets your blood pressure up or 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 lowers it. <laughs> But rather, listen, remember the mandate of our Lord Jesus Christ. Go ye into all the world and do what? Preach the gospel. To not do that, to not do that would be a huge, huge, huge AWOL on the part of you, soldier, in the army of the living God, whose captain is Jesus Christ, who is our forerunner, who did a very, in fact, an impeccable and excellent job of showing us how we ought to live in this world, making our way through it, doing our Father's will. Now, <clears throat> speaking of preaching the gospel, where were we last week when we were so rudely interrupted by a power outage? I, had a lot of people asking what happened last week. Well, just maybe a transformer or something because our building went down, our complex went down. In fact, the lights were out on the street corners where um, where we departed. So we know that it was relatively significant. Um, but no, it wasn't the devil. It wasn't the prince of the power of the air uh, trying to stop anything. <laughs> so we don't want to go down that route. We don't want to start turning over rocks and uh, uh, using the Bible the wrong way. Just a, uh, you know, a snafu in our technological uh, world and society. And by the way, I thought about it. I thought about this. As many times as I've been on the air, and I can't count, I know it's been now over 10 years, probably somewhere around 12, including the morning show I used to do years ago. Um, Not one time out of all of the power outages everywhere um, that had occurred over the years, and you guys know what a power outage is. They happen from time to time, not too frequently in your own homes, et cetera. Um, not one time have we ever had what took place last Monday. And I know that is that has happened before, even with our station here, uh, in terms of power outages. It just simply happens. But it's never happened to me. So good, I got a chance to experience what it means to be in the middle of a program and the lights go out. Now, I have proposed an idea to you that I'm going to continue to nurture today while I take your phone calls on any topic between the pages of Scripture and the world we live in, um, questions you might want to ask me on a pastoral level or personal level relative to our life. You can do that, one 367 When I uh, was in my opening monologue last week, I raised the question, what is... Um, What is the uh, correlation between the funeral of John McCain that took place a couple of weeks ago uh, on a Saturday and Aretha Franklin's, which took place uh, that same week, I believe, on a Friday um, in the gospel? What is the correlation between John McCain's funeral and um, and Aretha Franklin's funeral, uh, quite frankly, no pun intended, uh, and the gospel? And the truth is, the answer is none. I, I watched both funerals. I, I had the opportunity while while I was watching the U.S. Open. And oh, by the way, I'm going to make some observations about Miss Serena Williams' meltdown because there are theological points I want to make on both the meltdown of Miss Serena as well as um, funeral services that become nothing but really either political points of uh, – of attack or just a star studded uh, gala of men and women uh, uh, taking the limelight for a moment and um, 
in many cases doing a good job, but in one or two very bad cases doing a horrible job, particularly with Aretha Franklin's funeral service. And then um, ultimately the question still remains, where was the gospel in either funeral service. So here's what I'm putting out to you before I take a break, because it, it just it's appalling to me as a pastor uh, who am always determined every time I am called upon to do a memorial service or a funeral or um, whatever we call it today euphemistically, because we don't seem to want to face some of the content and uh, implication of the term funeral is a Latin term uh, concerning the dead. We don't want to talk like that anymore. But to the degree that our euphemism turns us away from the facts that death is not a natural phenomenon as a part of human inheritance in the beginning, but rather an unnatural phenomenon as a consequence of sin, wouldn't you think, ladies and gentlemen, Every time a funeral service occurs where there is a gathering of men and women and no doubt unsaved people or unbelieving people, as was the case with me just a few days ago. I had a a funeral of a very popular man who um, who was warm and friendly and helpful, a very, very um, his life was very much marked by giving and serving and all of that, which I thoroughly enjoyed. And I had an eclectic group of men and women there, certainly unbelievers and uh, some believers and people of different religions, which compel me to do what? Preach the gospel of the person and work of Jesus Christ and call men and women to what? Repentance and faith in him. Where has that gone in our day? And when did it leave? And is it appropriate that when our loved one dies, if you call the minister to actually do the funeral, that to do more than just eulogize that individual. And I would say, if I don't know that person, that man or that woman, I would never do a eulogy for someone I don't know. I let the people that know him or her do the eulogy because they actually know them. You don't know them, preacher. And your job is not to fabricate a story about them and eulogize them when, in fact, you don't know them. Let those who knew them from the heart tell the story about that individual. And your job is to comfort the family and call the listening ears that are still alive to realize it's your turn next to be in that casket. It is appointed unto men once to die and after this, the judgment. Therefore, if you don't know Jesus, if you don't know God and the pardon of your sins, Repent and believe the gospel. Where has that gone? Where has the fear of God, the presence of God, the the calling of God, the summoning of God to men and women who come to the services, um, having a sense of, oh, okay, I've got to go, but I know I'm going to hear from God again because God is revered in the body of believers. And God is certainly revered at a time when a loved one goes home or uh, a person dies. It's gone, isn't it? Totally gone from our world. We are in a mess. Anyhow, I'm going to take a break. I've got three lines open. one 367 5329 Is it appropriate for the gospel to be intentionally proclaimed in all of its fundamental um, imperatives at a funeral service today? Is it? 
one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. You're talking to Jesse Gistin, or rather, I'm talking to you. You're listening to Jesse Gistin on the Monday edition of Lifeline. I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. All right, we're back. The time five twenty four, and the number to reach me if you want to chime in on the conversation, um, or you have something on your mind you want to share that uh, would be worth a um, a public discourse. The number is one triple eight. Three six seven five three two nine one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. As I was stating, when I was watching John McCain's funeral service, I, I was fascinated by a number of things, and then disappointed by the fundamental thing, which I am, uh, you know, wanting to have just a small conversation with you on. Um, I was fascinated first by all of the previous presidents that were at John McCain's funeral service. President Obama, President Clinton, President Bush. Uh, and, and as they were singing the hymns, you know, what was fascinating. Almost none of the wives were singing the hymns. The, the husbands uh, made a good show at it. They attempted at it, but you could tell that it was a little bit uncomfortable. Now, I will admit two people that uh, three people I was actually uh, uh, admirable about. One is Bill Clinton was very uh, robustly engaged in the hymns. Now, this is a Catholic uh, church, and so they're, they're singing the old traditional hymns, uh, many of which most people today wouldn't know because a lot of your churches have abandoned hymns altogether, and that is to your demise but I'm watching Bill Clinton really getting at the hymns. And then uh, George Bush wasn't doing a bad job. But guess who was really trying to do it as well? Uh, Obama. President Obama was really trying to sing the hymns. And, and what was, again, what was curious about it, these weren't your common hymns like Amazing Grace, um, um, you know, or, 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 or Come Thou Found of Every Blessing. Those are all great hymns. But these were some of the more difficult hymns that would uniquely be found in your older traditional churches. And so I thought that is quite interesting. And now they probably knew the camera was on them, but uh, maybe not. Maybe as they are getting older, as am I, one of my uh, topics in a, in a little bit is going to be finishing well. I really want us as men and women who are professors in Christ to know that um, your call in mind is to finish well. So I'm going to talk to you about why finishing well on different levels is important. We could actually take both funeral services and make an application there because the life of John McCain is finished. The life of Aretha Franklin is finished. And the question would be raised, did they finish well? Did John McCain finish well? Did Aretha Franklin finish well? Well, from a human standpoint, not being able to peer completely into the heavens in terms of the judgment of God, who really knows the hearts of all men, I think they both did. They did succumb to a disease, as will be the case for all of us, uh, except Christ come. Um, but I think they did. I don't recall any major scandal <clears throat> marking the end of John McCain's life, nor do I recall any major scandal marking the end of Aretha Franklin's life. In fact, I think that it was I think that it was Stevie Wonder who basically made that remark. We are glad that you, Aretha, did not leave this world 
um, in some kind of scandal. And I thought that's exactly right. Very appropriate because we don't always leave or finish well. But again, here's the question that I'm posing. And I I just want to know when you go to the average funeral service or memorial today, do you actually expect the imperative of the gospel to be proclaimed? Do you expect the preacher to go now? You know, we're all here living, but not all of us really know the true and the living God. And the fact that we are observing and witnessing this loved one go into the ground reminds us of what the Bible says. And then you begin to set forth the facts of sin and the facts of a redeemer who can actually take the sting out of death. Now, are you prepared to hear that in the average funeral memorial service today? Or are you used to some kind of real nice, we're sure that this loved one is in heaven. We're sure that they're in glory. We're sure that they're looking down on us. All of the stuff that we normally get around um, funeral services. But my question is, is Jesus Christ actually exalted in the service? Is the true and the living God really made to be seen in the service as the one who is actually to get the glory in the life lived and the life passed? And then ultimately, are we beckoned upon to to reckon with the reality that our breath um, will end at some point, be given back to the God that gave it? Are you used to that? Do you expect that in funeral services today? Do you expect the gospel to be proclaimed in the next memorial that you will be a part of? one 367 That's kind of what we're going to be talking about. one 367 I've got two lines open. one 367 5329, two lines over. I'm going to take another break, and when we come back, we'll go to the phone lines. But I do want to hear from you because, you know, we all are headed there. And should we be comfortable with God and the person of Christ and the gospel not being the central message of a funeral or a memorial service? I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. Back. The time is 536 on the Monday edition of, of Lifeline. Three lines open. one 367 one Let's go to the phone lines now. Let's go to line number one and talk with James uh, from the Bay. Hey, James, what's going on, man? How you doing, Pastor Jesse? I am great, brother. What's your thoughts today? Well... I didn't see, I didn't. I wasn't able to watch either one of the services for either Aretha Franklin or John McCain. I could have figured what was going to happen with John McCain because just because of the state of the country right now. Right. Uh, I don't know what was said in Aretha's uh, service, but I would have, even though I know they probably had some political figures there, I would hope it wouldn't have turned as deeply as the one from McCain did. It actually was uh, worse. It was it was worse. And see, I, I really wonder, I really wonder why. I mean, of course, McCain being a politician, and even though he may have finished strong, he did flip-flop on his policy. I mean, if you go back and follow McCain, he was anti-Obamacare until the end, and then all of a sudden, 
when Trump got in, he flipped. That's called you know, that's called being a politician. I'm totally with you. Yeah. I watched uh, McCain for decades. Um, he was a moderate conservative. Um, when conservatism was popular. But as he began to move towards uh, a run for the presidency, um, his his political colors started showing and he became much more liberal. And once he realized that that was over with, he stayed on the liberal side, um, just opposing, if you will, any kind of legitimate, helpful, uh, biblically based uh, conservative policies. And so, yeah, he created a lot of enemies around people who whose whole identity is wrapped up in in, in party politics. And, and one of the things I would state with that beside the fact that there were a number of the high-profile candidates who really took hits at John McCain. Now, the the reality is that John, John McCain was a man who spoke his mind, uh, and sometimes it got on camera. So he, he, he took some serious shots at people, and when you take shots at people, rhetorically, they're going to take shots back. So by the time he dies— his daughter feels like she must protect him and preserve his character and dignity. Uh, and she did basically the eulogy for him. And again, as I'm listening to her, I'm realizing that she's spending all her time defending her dad. And uh, that being the case, I have no problem with her doing that. But she could not keep herself from being driven to take shots at President Trump and then others who would um, who would call John McCain on his flip flopping. So I'm I'm saying, you know, as much as uh, we want to honor the man, flawed as he may be, you don't take a eulogy and use it to take shots at the president or those who would be uh, consenting to the views they held against John McCain. I, I just thought that was totally imp- inappropriate on her part. But here's the real question that I'm raising to the audience as well as to you. Are we becoming numb to the fact That in the vast majority of our memorial services or funerals, if you will, that Jesus is not exalted and preached as the imperative for the living. Uh, uh, The the last two funeral services you've been to, uh, my brother, uh, did Christ actually get preached? Well... I pretty much know what I'm in for when I'm going. Uh-huh. If I don't know who's doing the eulogy, uh, then if, if I know who's doing the eulogy, then I know what I'm in for. If I don't know, then I pretty much know what I'm going to get. One of the last ones I went to, I can say yes and no to the answer, because one of the last ones I went to, unfortunately, was for young Nia. Yeah. The first part of it was absolutely not. Then I found out at the end that the bishop did bring some correctional things that were said. Okay. So at the end of the day, uh, yes. But generally speaking, when I go to, you know, you probably have, you've been preaching a long time, you know, the funerals for the dead, the home yeah. going is for the living or for the believer. Uh, a lot of times when I go, I'm going down to respect for the person I know or to, to comfort or show support for, for the family members. But unless I know who it is that's doing the eulogy, I mean, we're living in a time now where where we've moved to where we've moved to a more progressive, to a more liberal mindset, where you know theology is a lost science and preaching is a lost art. I mean, nobody. I don't know where all our teachers and preachers have gone, but I think as the pendulum has swung to 
progressive well the lord jesus christ isn't this he may have been this back in the time that the scriptures were written but now today he's like somehow another he's evolved when the text strictly says he's the same yesterday today and forever you know i guess we have liberal uh theological institutions now that are that are putting out i don't know you you fill in the blame i mean they're, they're putting out teaching this basically contrary to scripture or liberating or, or being or liberating from the original uh tenor or, or, or text of scripture if you will right and and and, and, and... I don't necessarily uh, uh, put the, the the issue or the problem with funerals and memorials uh, at the feet of of uh, scholarship or the um, the uh, institutions of learning like seminaries and things of that nature. I put it at the um, I put it at the feet of the pastor and and the leadership in the church who does not have a a, a biblical uh, and theological theologically sound um, worldview when it comes to uh, funeral services and the necessity of calling the living uh, to account um, with regards to sin and the death of Christ and the need to repent and believe the gospel. Uh, it, it, the, the answer is, in my experience, it doesn't happen anymore. And here's the reason why. Um, as was the case that I kind of felt was being presumed with Aretha Franklin's service. I'll talk about Jasper Jasper Williams, who was the main eulogist, who got up and simply took his, you know, fancy time for about 40 minutes talking about, uh, you know, black lives don't matter and and, and women can't raise boys without a man in the house. I mean, what was absolutely phenomenal about Jasper Williams' uh, rant for so long as the main eulogist is two things. He didn't do any honor to Miss Franklin, nor did he do any honor to Christ. It was purely a horizontal message. Uh, and, and for me, this will get into my discussion after I let you go, because I'm way overdue with you, about finishing well. So, so keep listening, because my point will be um, there is an uncanny testimony in the Bible, uh, as well as human history, that if we're not careful, we don't finish well. And Jasper Williams is an older minister um, who had a privileged inside relationship with the uh, Franklin family. They wanted him to do the eulogy. And I'm going, what on earth possesses you to take an opportunity with all of these people coming to, um, to, to, to as it were, um, laud and praise uh, Aretha, and and you take this to turn it into a political hang- haranguing and, and disciplining uh, black folks uh, on the level of uh, of Bill Cosby back in the day. Remember when Bill Cosby kind of chimed in on pull your pants up and and do this right and get an education and 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 while some of his message was right as was Jasper, the context was completely unbecoming of the the appropriate time for that kind of message to be set forth. And I, I said to myself, see, this is what senility does to an older person when they have forgotten that their primary job is to bring men and women closer to God through the rhetoric of preaching. Listen, James, thanks for the call. I got to take a break. When I come back, I will take up uh, Miss uh, Alora and then uh, Nelson and then Renee. I've got one line open, one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. One line open, one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. We are asking the question, are you used to hearing the gospel preached 
at a funeral service. Now, my brother James said yes and no in the terms of what he recently heard about. But see, I'm not talking about making mention of Jesus. I'm not talking about the good man upstairs. I'm not talking about, you know, till we all get to heaven. Because one of the big problems today in most memorial services and funerals is everybody's saved, even the person in the casket. Don't you dare question whether the person in the casket was lost. It's a conspiracy, in my mind, against Christ in the funeral service. Now, here you have this massive, massive secular um, very star-studded from politicians all the way down to the children of Aretha Franklin in a, a, a multi-thousand member assembly, traditional Baptist church. And, and and I can see how you can get lost. And the names go on and on and on. I mean, a lot of the people we know, Stevie Wonder, Jesse Jackson, on and on and on. We could go on and on and on. And I did enjoy the singing, no doubt about it. Some of them did very well. Even our, our you know, Ariana, uh, forget her last name, Grandi, something like that. She sang, you know, a, um, a natural woman. She wasn't bad. Quit beating up on the girl. She wasn't bad. And that she dressed the way she did. Women dress like that in church all the time. Get off your high horse. And just it, it recognize this was a funeral service about, you know, uh, applauding the queen of soul. But the king of all souls was never mentioned and the gospel was not preached. I've got one line open, one triple eight, three six seven five three two nine. One line open, one triple eight, three six seven five three two nine. I'm gonna take a break and then when I come back, we'll keep with the phone calls and I'll keep nudging you to think about it. When you die, would you have secured someone to preach the gospel to the living? When you go, or, or is everybody going to be so focused on you that we forget about the God that made you? One line open, one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. We are back the time 551 on the Monday edition of Lifeline. This hour is almost over with, so let's move to the phone lines fairly quickly. Line number three, Alora in Livermore. I hope I got that name right. Laura, yes, in Livermore. Good. How are you today? I'm good. I originally called in because I wanted to make a mention to Serena, but I did watch both funerals, and I would say that the wake the day before for McLean, I felt like they were more um, cognizant of mentioning Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and I thought it was going to go in that direction, and the next day it seemed like it was more politicized and totally. it was used as a tool yep. to sort of um, discuss, uh, to me, to set up for November's elections. Sure. And um, I'm sorry? No, I said sure. That's exactly what it was. Unfortunately, yeah. and from a larger reverential perspective, Laura, it shouldn't have been done. No. And then, and then I was really disappointed with Aretha Franklin's um Funeral because I grew up in the black church, and sure. so I didn't like the fact that uh, the way Ariana Grande was groped. I feel that she came comes from the entertainment industry. If she comes into the church, you're there to set an example, so she would be welcome to want to come to Christ. Um, and she's there to just sing a song. She comes right. from a different a different cloth. So, sure. Um, and another thing is, I was always taught that you don't allow certain people on the pulpit because people come to the altar, and that's a place that's very sacred. And there were people on the pulpit that I did not feel that 
I thought I the way I was taught they were not should not have been up there because that's out of order. Um, but nonetheless, I felt like there was a lot of things that people had their own agendas and they wanted themselves to be seen. I did cry when um uh when, during McLean's funeral because right. of the speech of his daughter, but right. when she took it off into targeting Trump again, it seemed like okay, this was bitterness. Right. This was off the off topic, and so there were a lot of things that did not honor God. I can tell you that my father, he died two years ago, and I. I had to do his memorial, um, in, actually last year, yeah. and I had to do his memorial in June this year. He was an atheist, and all his friends were an atheist, mm. and they would not have been receptive if I would have co- come to the podium uh, preaching Jesus. So what I do is I try to be a witness, as in just showing the love of Christ and making it a very um, honorable thing to my father, but still um, saying something in my poem. I, I spoke. I had, I had a poem I read. My brother did the eulogy. I had a really good spread of food. I tried to show the love of Christ in my actions, and then I also set up a Facebook page, and all those people followed me, and I think me being a witness, in that way I can show them, okay, I'm a Christian, you see my style, I can be an open book in that way, because these are people, if I would say certain things, they would be adverse, they would feel like, okay, what are you saying, you know that's not what we believe in, they're very, very philosophical. So what? Right. I yes. love you. I love you. And I'm going to tell you now. So what? Hold on, Elora. Yes. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Yes, I love you. I love you. And I tell you that if I were helping you put together the, the, the service, I would tell you why this is not about you and that it is not adequate enough for us to show them our Christianity when the mandate is to have a conversation about it. So here is what you did about what your dad is absolutely right. In fact, uh, getting back to uh, John McCain's daughter, I actually thoroughly enjoyed her historical um, uh, 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 eulogizing him and her relationship with him and how he impacted yeah. her. That was absolutely riveting. Beautiful. It was passionate. Yeah. It was great. I was yeah. absolutely, I said, go girl. I really enjoyed it because yeah. I mean, I got six daughters and I expect one of them, if not all six, to do that. But but that goes yeah. to show you the side of John McCain that people don't know. He was a human and, and, and apparently he had a great relationship with his daughter. And you, that, there is a place for that. Now, all I was saying is this, when our loved one dies or a non-loved one dies, if you will, this is really God's time. So our atheist friends, our agnostic friends, our homosexual friends, our lesbian friends, our, our, you know, whatever friends that are there, we're all human beings and they, they will know next time this happens to you, listen, they will know and they will put up with the message of the gospel because all men are made by one God and he's made them to be able to hear it and endure it. And you will have done them a favor by letting them know that we are all in the same boat. Preaching the gospel does not require you standing on the shores of heaven uh, and then preaching down to people sinking in the waters of hell. That's not how it needs to be done, but it, it could have been tastefully set forth as a warning that we all need to make sure that we know where we are going when we pass. And that's the reason for which God sent his only begotten son in the world. You do understand what I'm saying. 
Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I hope I didn't miss that window. I tried to do it in a way that was inviting and a different, but I do see your point. Absolutely. And, and that is important. And I am not taking I'm not taking one opportunity to capitalize on understanding that once it's over, it's over. Do you know who your maker is and do you know where you're going? Absolutely. And, and you're right. Absolutely. And you're right, too. So we're going to bring those two together and uh, and deal with that before. I'm not going to let you go. I'm going to hold you until the um, break because I, I do. Serena. I want to talk about it. Now, now let's just let's let's segue my girl into the event, because actually what I'm doing, Alora, is talking to people not only about how appropriate Christ is relative to our dying, but how important it is for us as believers to finish well and and, and finishing well has many different categories. You and I can be called to finish well when it comes to how we, um, uh, you know, carry ourselves in school or how we carry ourselves at work or how we carry ourselves in a uh, a situation that will have a point of termination and we'll be moving on. We can finish well in a number of contexts. We can talk about finishing well when it comes to dying. Now, I want to talk about finishing well when it comes to the ending of a career, because it appears to me, my experience has been, and I'm almost 60 years old, it, it appears to me that particularly with people who are highly privileged, in the Bible, the kings would be a, a marked example for us. Godly kings doing very well until they get into their latter years and doing something really grossly stupid and marring the testimony of their life. Well, we've seen this over and over with athletes in sports as well, who seem to think that at a certain point, um, they can say what they want to and do what they want to and not realize that it's going to mar their legacy. Now, I think that Serena is, in fact, on a par with uh, Muhammad Ali and Michael Jordan and all of these guys in the category of female sports. But I've been watching her since she was 17. And I have seen these little blurps as she gotten wealthier and more powerful and much more prominent. And I said, no, Serena, don't do that there. Don't don't go there. Don't do that. Just yeah. suck it up and realize that you have to fight for a win when you're the queen of the hill, just like if right. you're the king right. of the hill. Somebody trying to knock you off that hill, girl. Exactly, exactly. And, and can I just share my point about that? I just want to say that I, I'm a, I love – Serena and everything she stands for, as in just equality and what she does with you know, girl opening up the schools absolutely. for young girls. And absolutely, I just want to say that she is a target, yeah. and she does need mentors around her because the fact that she is where she is. I even last year was like, okay, you're getting a little proud. You need to calm yep. down. You know, Agreed. But then you need to go back to she has history at U.S. Open where she's been attacked. There, you go to the Caparotti, um, um when they basically they 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 gave that to Caparotti when. Serena, I mean, they would call calls on her that were wrong. And so she has some healing to do yep. and to be more objective when she's on the court. I agree. And then she needs to also understand she's on a journey and she's not all the way completely healed. Mm. She also has some postpartum, some emotions mm-hmm. going through. And 
she still feels that when her coach, she didn't know her coach was coaching, and he needs to make a public statement as well. He did. Because they're in conflict with what they're – yeah, he made that public statement after the game, but he hasn't come afterwards when him and Serena has talked because Serena came out. She still did not realize he was coaching her, and so she doesn't have a history of him doing that. She needs to apologize for breaking the racket, and even if she – that's her weak spot, but then also you have to understand she's been going through a lot of things where they're coming and they're testing, drug testing her, pushing her buttons, and she maybe – that's her area. She's emotional, and right. then also with the thing of having the baby, yeah. and she needs um, a cushion there where I feel that the media, they, they came in on her and attacked her. When she came to come and apologize, I don't see the media covering and going on. I see them the past three, the whole week, they, like, beat her down into the ground. But when it came to her having to say her side of the story, I don't see anyone covering that and posting that every day all day long. And so people are looking to make her into a target to say, look it, and they want to take her down from her throne. She has to be aware of that. And like you said, she has to finish well with Grace because she has made a, a huge impact, not just for women, but women of color, too, because women in workplaces, we go through things like um, being treated unfairly or not having a voice. Or when a man does something, then uh, we do the same thing. We're treated a certain way where, oh, you're being emotional. So those things are true that they are happening, but she has to find a way to do it that's diplomatic or it will not tarnish her legacy because there are people that are trying to do that to her. No, 100%. This is not an accident. No, one, well, no, 100%. The only area that I would parse with you is that that was not the intention of the U.S. Open here. But whenever you are prominent, I know this from experience as a pastor that is fairly publicly known as well in the media, uh, you know, in our in our local circuit, that um, you have a target on your back. I got that. And there are levels of provocation that come from many different places, let alone the spiritual world. Uh, whenever we reach a status, we have to be careful about not only pride, but uh, a privilege, right. the, the notion that we have a right to uh, be a certain way. And, and it's hard. It's really hard. I, I She's not done. She didn't commit the unpardoned sin but she no, was no no she has done too much good right and i think people are out there saying that because they want to ruin her reputation and there are people printing that and saying oh she ruined no she has not no not at all not at all and she has so much more to do that might not. she's going to carry on and do other things when she stops doing tennis. But the fact that people are verbalizing and putting that in print, you had that crazy racist cartoon that was printed. There are people targeting her emotionally. That's draining on a person. Now, she has a very heavy... Now, you're right now, and I, I, I thank you for the call. And it sounds like your first time call. I, I do want you to call again. You're very articulate and passionate, as am I, and, and that, that's good for radio. She has to know, because she might have a year or two or a few more years to play, Laura, and my audience, that she has to actually have her character honed. Because to finish well is to finish mature. Um, she doesn't want to finish controversial. That was John McEnroe. He really messed up his his legacy with his constant ranting and things of that nature too. And he's owning that now. Uh, we with, with regards to uh, Serena doing so much uh, good as you stated, she's already doing all that. But she can cap that off by being a little bit more discreet. She had no reason to pull in the race the 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 gender card. I mean, not in, in that moment, it really wasn't about that there were a couple of things that came at her and that is the biggest one was <laughs> Naomi was spanking that butt and 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 it's already tough when you you are set, she, she, but in the second set she figured out her game and she was getting back and then that's when the that's when Ramos but it wasn't but he wasn't about the coaching right but he wasn't he wasn't 
because there are uh, other guys in that same she U.S. Was up Open. Three one. I don't know if you know, she was up three one, and she was she figured out Naomi's game. I still feel like Naomi had a better game, but she was she was on a road. I don't know if she could have came back because I feel like she's still getting back in shape. But I'm just saying is that. That's how she felt. She felt that. I know how she felt. Take that away from her. I know. I know how she felt. I know how she felt. When women do it, it's it's we're hysterical. When men do it, it's it gets a little bit ignored. But he has been being very sharp, Ramos, on calling all the calls. He just called somebody the other day, and so he is doing his job. But I think that she needs to come with a public apology. But still, she needs to state her claim that. You have to respect me as well because she does. She she gets treated differently sometimes on the court. I will respectfully disagree with you on this little caveat. I do know I've been watching Serena for years, been watching all the others as well, and I know we're dealing with a a, a male female dynamic right now. I do. I I, I get that. I I'm, I'm very I'm very used to that in my own household. Okay, but my my point being is that. Um, she did not really have to go to the women's right element. She didn't need that for her argument. She could have argued for herself, but she didn't need to spread it abroad because um, we're making great strides. But in tennis, you've seen people like Federer. I'm not dealing with them. We know McEnroe was always crazy and overboard, but you've seen other people say little things, curse, say things to the umpire, and not get to the point where they lose a game. Only because of this. Elora. We've already they've already done the analysis. It's all out there only because when the uh, when the umpire says um, stop, they stop coaching. But she didn't feel like she was receiving coaching. But see, that's I I got that. I got that. I got that. But when they say stop, you stop. You, right. you can deal with it but later. I you can deal with it in a minute. I think part of that was miscommunication because mm-hmm. she felt he was giving her a thumbs up mm-hmm. and he was actually coaching her, mm-hmm. and then she didn't know that. And and, and guess what? Because she thought she was being accused of right. cheating. Right, but coaching but, but he caught it. The the ump caught it. He knew that her yeah. coach. He and knew. The thing is, but she she feels that she she didn't know that he, her coach was coaching. Now we're going around in circles. Well, I think that's that's where the discussion is, though. Is she truly did not feel like she was receiving coaching, but her coach said yes. It was a disconnect between her. And that's her right. Coach. That's right. But he so caught that. She got upset at the umpire because right. she was like, "What are you talking but about?" But he's she not going to. He he's, he does not have to the luxury, nor does he have the. Um, he doesn't have to tell her what he saw. He all he's looking that's at true. is her and him. See, that's, that's all I'm saying. Uh, you know, I, I'm I'm just stating that she could have kind of mellowed on down. Didn't have to hit the rocket. Didn't have to. It didn't. Have to, it didn't have to escalate to that, in my opinion, because no, no, she, she that's all. Bless yeah. you. Yes. Got to take a break. Way overdue. I'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.